Welcome to the Young Baptist Podcast, a podcast committed to the centrality of the gospel and to encouraging believers to be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. You know who we are. My name is Clay Maynard. Uh, Thanks for listening to today's episode. I'm actually honored, I'm privileged to have my good friend, Brian Knowles, Pastor Brian Knowles of Blessed Hope Baptist Church right here in Panama City, Florida. Um, Brian, how's it going, man? It's going great. This has actually been a real long time coming, uh, us sitting down and doing this together. Um, I mean, we do this all the time for fun anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. Might as well make an episode. Yeah. And I, I tell you, Brian, I, uh, we, you're right. We've been talking about this a long time. We've talked about uh, I've talked about recording you specifically. Like I wanted to interview you, uh, and and really I wanted it to be sort of on this topic as well. But just so you guys know, if we have any audio issues later with mixing, if you feel like we're too quiet or too loud at different times, we are working with one mic. Mm-hmm. So we're having to pass this mic back and forth for this <laughs> interview. So we hope you'll bear with us if there's any uh, if it's a little less than usual on the stellar uh, the stellar quality that Josh usually make sure that we've all come to know and love. Yeah. If you ever wondered, Josh isn't here tonight. If you ever wonder where the the quality magic comes from, it is definitely Josh. (laughs) Um, Well, Brian, tell, if you don't mind, take a few minutes, tell the listeners uh, who you are, get a little bit about your story and, uh, and uh, how, what brings you to where you are today? Well, that's a long story. You want me to go? Yeah, just a couple minutes, the short version, how you got saved. And, sure. Uh, what brings you to be the pastor of Blessed Hope Baptist Church? Okay. I got, uh, well, let's. Uh, when I was five years old, the, the, the local church would come by the house, and uh, as they did uh, quite heavily in the 80s, the bus routes and the bus ministries were a big thing. And uh, they came through our neighborhood, knocked on the door, asked my parents if uh, their children would like to come to church on the church bus, and uh, that's how it all started. So I'm about five years old. I started riding the church bus, going to church, local Baptist church. And uh, when I was about eight or nine, at the time, no one told me how important it would be later in life to write this down, uh, or I would have. But at, I was eight or nine, somewhere in that range, and I was sitting in a children's church service. I still remember who was preaching. I won't call his name, just in case he doesn't want to be affiliated with me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went forward after he preached his message, and I really felt the tug of the Lord that day. Um, and I went forward uh, as best I could as an eight or nine-year-old boy and professed uh, Christ, received him. And, and I'll tell you, looking back, it's, it's been obvious that the Lord's hand has been in my life ever since. As a teenager, uh, I really felt the calling to preach. I gave in to that calling, um, got married. I went to Bible school. PCC didn't last too long there, uh, which is a familiar story. Uh, that I'm getting to know, uh, getting more acquainted with other people's similar stories of that school. But I uh, <laughs> uh, came home from from my first year of college, got married to my wife, Audrey. Uh, we dated all through high school. And uh, shortly after that, uh, we got out of church. You know, I guess it's not a, uh, a strange thing for young couples to do, uh, but we did. We kind of slowly stopped going to church and And it took a a while for things to go in the wrong direction, but slowly but surely they did. You know, the further away I got from the Lord, the further I got into the world, the bigger my problems got. And so um, about six or seven years out of church left me in a really bad spot. I developed an addiction to pain pills, and uh, it was not good on my marriage or my life as a whole. And uh, when things got really, really bad and I really thought my marriage was over, Uh, deservedly. In uh, 2007, uh, we decided to give it one more shot um, and we got back into church and we knew that um, church had to be part of the equation. God had to be a part of the equation if there was any hope for us. And I was really desperate at this point to find some help uh, for my addiction issues and um, everything I was grasping for in the world wasn't working. And uh, so I started uh, in 2007 looking for help from pastors. And I tried a couple of churches that I knew uh, and talked to the pastors and was really seeking some help. And, you know, they're all great, well-meaning guys, no ill feelings at all, but they just weren't well equipped at the time to deal with drug addiction. And they pushed me in other directions. And um, then uh, that's when I ran into uh, a church that the pastor took me in with open arms, was more than willing to accept me, had confidence in his ability to help people uh, with the problems that I had. And 
And that's where we landed uh, into the church that we spent about 15 years in. Uh, and then after about 15 years, 14 years, the pastor of that church resigned. And when he did, uh, the church voted me in as the pastor. And it's been three years since that transition has taken place. Yeah. And Je Brian, just to be clear, you, I met you, you, when at sort of you would describe it maybe as one toward the lowest spot there. hundred percent. Like when we were, first met, I was at arguably the lowest point in my life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you came to the, the church you came to was the church I was in at the time. It's That's the church correct. I spent, I spent a good portion of my childhood there at that church. Actually, it's the, uh, it, and, and I was there with you for, I don't know, probably seven or eight years, maybe. Yeah, maybe, for sure. Something like that. For sure. Before yeah. I before I struck out on on my own, but right. the, the truth is, Brian, when I met you, I don't, I didn't, I knew that there were things you guys were dealing with, mm. but I was pretty young when you met me. How, do you know how old I was? Was I seventeen? I fourteen. When you started coming to the church, I was fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I had no idea that that was that early. So you're saying we've known each other for or like well for? I showed up to that church. And That's 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. November of 2007 is when I met you. Thanksgiving. Wow. We didn't become friends right away then. We became well, friends when? Well, there was a pretty big uh, age gap there. You yeah. Know, I was uh, <laughs> 20. Let's see. If you were 14, then I was... Uh, well, that's what I'm thinking. We didn't come become friends till I was an adult, roughly speaking. I think I was 17 or 18. I think that that's about when we became friends. That's right. Yeah. That's when we... Well, I mean, we were always acquaintances, but our friendship really developed. Yeah. And our bond started to form about that time. Yeah, I became an adult and I was pretty quickly uh, interested in becoming an adult. Like I didn't want to be a kid anymore. I wasn't interested. It was obvious at that age. It was obvious what I noticed about you and not to boost you up because, you know, I know you all the way around. Right. So we'll just talk <laughs> about the good stuff here today. But uh, you you did not care what anybody thought. And that was uh, and, and not in a bad way. I mean, you wanted to have a good reputation, but. I never met a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old that was so divorced from public opinion. I mean, most kids that age, uh, all the way down to the brand of shoe that they're wearing matters so much. At least it did to me when I was that age. And you just were so not interested in anything like that. And from a very young age, you had a heart for the Lord and theology as a whole. And I just really liked the way your mind worked. Uh, and well, you know, you talk about not caring what anybody thinks that definitely has its blessings and its curses, but, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, especially as a married man, <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But I will say, Brian, we, we started, I think we started having oysters when I was about 18 or something like that. Yes. And we started uh, getting along and I was really interested in growing up and you were a guy who, well, you're eight, nine, 10 years older than me, something That's like right. that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you were like an older brother and I knew that you guys had struggles, but you know, I was really clueless at the time. The, right. some of the things you were struggling with but in the in the weird juxtaposition of our backgrounds friendship just blossomed you it know did. we we had similar um ways of thinking in a lot of ways we we uh we appreciated each other's candor i appreciated that you were willing to be challenged yes and i was willing to let you challenge me and That's i was right. a dumb kid like what did i know but i was i was willing to mix it up with anybody and i wanted to honestly hear what you thought and that that kind of went with everybody i was open to being wrong i was open to being challenged i mean i'd go out don't get me wrong i'd go with you toe to toe well, sure we've had some heated debates <laughs> Fun. And I was, and I've always been a little too cocky for my own good. I'll readily admit that it's something that the Lord has had to work on in me. But, but I really appreciated your willingness uh, as a guy who was older than me to let me express myself, to let me grow, and in and in times of my life where I didn't even see certain things, you were you were a little further down the road and had the wisdom to uh, to give me that space. And uh, you're, I mean, you're my oldest friend at this point. Wow. It's crazy, isn't it? Wait, in years or yeah. just length in, of friendship? <laughs> length of friendship. Oh, okay, because I could mention some friends you have that, are, you know, I haven't met Brian Edwards face to face, but on the RFP, they sure like to give him a hard time. And I think he is a tad bit older than He me. is older than you. He's not old enough to be called Pappy, all right? <laughs> Pastor Brian, I got your back here. They shouldn't call you that. JC, JC, dial it down, man. Goodness. That's funny. No, but... No, not you're my oldest friend. You go, we go Our back longest the longest. Wow. Yeah, that's well, what. I feel honored. That's what twelve or thirteen years for sure. 
that we've been friends. For sure. And we've I, been on family vacations together now. We've, yeah, on a couple of family vacations. And and here's the truth, too. And I'm I'm not trying to puff you up because I know we got an interview to get to. But um, I want to say that there's and if you're listening and you've had this happen to you, you know exactly what, what I'm talking about when I say this. But uh, you don't forget when people stick with you and don't mind being associated with you and don't mind being named with you even when it costs them something. Mm. It costs them social capital with people that are around them or it costs them reputation. They're like, you know what? No, I don't care if you don't if you don't like him, we're friends. And there was a period in your life where it costed you something to be my friend. For sure. Um, and I appreciate that. And I don't think that's, that's not a small thing to me because there's everybody's, are, the proverb says the rich have many friends. Sure. And when you have something to offer people, friends just pile around. Right. Um, and so there've been times in my life when I didn't have much to offer except for a willing conversation and a cup of coffee. And you were willing to be my friend through all that, even when there were people who didn't like that. So I appreciate that. It means a lot. Well. And so uh, with that, with all of that and on the all front right. end. <laughs> so what's today's topic? Today's topic <laughs> is uh, we want to talk about leading out of a negative, out of a toxic church culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, pe- listeners of the podcast, I think you guys know some about my story. I know I've talked about it in, in snippets throughout the length of our podcast. Uh, and you know that I have experience in toxic church cultures, um, both in churches that I was in and, and in churches that I've, that I've spent a lot of time in that weren't necessarily my home church, but other pastors and churches. It's something that I've spent a lot of time in. And I think, frankly, that a lot of our the independent Baptist culture has some very toxic elements within it. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't define... Uh, everything they're about is toxic. I don't, I'm not. I'm not that. Uh, I just don't believe in being that extreme because I. I don't think it's number one. I don't think it's true. But but I think there's some very toxic elements for sure. And we both experienced that in the church that we were in together. Hundred uh, percent for that. And, and to your point, and and maybe this is something that I'd like to say before we even jumped in as well. Um, even looking back over my time uh, in a in a church environment that clearly was toxic and and even looking back through all those years and and seeing the negative uh, side of things it's hard to it's hard to not notice the positive things as well and the friendships and uh, uh, and the relationships that were formed over the years uh, and, and the things that were learned and instilled weren't all negative for sure and and and, and I'll also say this looking back I was very much part of that toxic culture. I, I bought into it and was a believer in, yeah. in, in some uh, things that were clearly toxic looking back. Um, and so I'm not coming from a place personally uh, with hatred or, or ill feelings towards anybody that's in that spot. Cause I was in that spot. I definitely looked down my nose in certain ways uh, from a place of legalism towards others. Uh, especially it seems that it's other Christians that really catch the, the, the brunt of, of uh, really find themselves in the crosshairs mm-hmm. the most. Um, but, you know, it's not to, it's not to excuse the negative things. It's one of those situations where once you have noticed things that are toxic, it's time to change those things. Yes. Yeah. Don't instinctively defend them. If, right. Once you see the truth, act on it. Be honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because one of the dangers when you talk about a topic that says hot button is this, like, how do you lead out of a toxic culture? What a lot of people hear when they hear that is, uh, it's time to bash whatever you were in. Right. That's not what we're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's possible for God to do great things, even in the midst of, of brokenness. Absolutely. God's always used broken people. Yes. And so, uh, the, the the goal here is not to is not to uh, say God wasn't working or that God didn't do great things, but it's okay to acknowledge where He was doing it because of good things we were doing, or, or and also to acknowledge where He was doing it in spite of things Absolutely. that we were doing that were very damaging. That's right. And like you said, the key is see the truth, acknowledge it, admit it, and act appropriately. If that calls for repentance, then repent. If it calls for change, do the hard work. Don't instinctively defend it. And of course, that we've all seen the megachurch pastor who says, you know how many people we baptized last week? Nobody can criticize me, right? Right, right. And that's just a bad attitude to it have. Is. Um, the first question I have for you, man, is this. What, what would you say are some traits? What are some signs that you're in a toxic church culture? Maybe somebody's out there listening and they're thinking, you know, I really do think this is toxic, but I'm, I feel like I'm crazy. 
it's being accepted by everybody they go to church with. It's at least if, if people disagree with it, they're not saying anything about it. Am I crazy? What are some signs that somebody could say, this is to- This actually is toxic. I'm not crazy. Okay. Now this question, uh, maybe isn't the, maybe I'm not the most qualified to answer this question. Cause I sat in a very toxic, uh, environment for many, many years and was oblivious to it until it was exposed to me. Now, looking backwards, I can definitely see some signs. Uh, but while I was in it, it was really hard to see those things. Uh, and, and I think, uh, well, let's just talk about some of the signs. I would say, from what I've learned and experienced, if I were to walk into a church and take a look at the congregation and every single person is dressed identical in the same manner, their hair's combed the same way, if everyone looks and acts the same way, something is terribly wrong with this culture because the fact is we're all different. We're all uh, very diverse and we're all coming from different backgrounds and different experiences. And, and, and we're not going to take biblical principles and apply them in the exact identical way in every mm-hmm. scenario. So wh- I've come to learn that a healthy church is going to have a vast variety of Christians on different points in their walks with the Lord and uh, coming from different backgrounds and different ideas. And there should be some diversity in that body. If there's no diversity in that local assembly, that's a pretty good indicator that something's wrong. Yeah, that's a good point, Brian. For for there to be absolute conformity on all kinds of areas of of Christian living, uh, it that assumes that nobody has a weakness that's unique to them. Nobody has uh, a leading of the spirit that's unique to them. Correct, and that just can't be the case. So you, if if I can reflect a little bit. You're you're saying if if you go if there's a culture where there's this pressure for everybody to be exactly the same if everybody's exactly the same it's prop, most likely that there's a pressure for that that's a, exactly. that's creating that well it's human nature and it's and there's someone probably there's either some either an individual or a group of people that are sort of would you say uh, exerting that pressure over other people absolutely there's almost always at least a group of people, uh, or or in our specific case, maybe a few families that really had some hardcore beliefs and really took over the culture of the church and pushed their agenda uh, as if it were the only one that were okay. Uh, Silly, silly things, as you know. Well, and and you're not saying that to live that way itself is wrong. Of course not. But to impose it on others. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea that if if one person is led by the Holy Spirit to put uh, a, a standard in their life to protect them from something that they're weak in, the very idea for someone to then take that standard and hold it over someone's head like it's the only right way to do this because the Holy Spirit told me so is stripping the Holy Spirit of his voice, especially when it's the leadership of the church that's pushing these things because, and I don't want to, you know, you give me an example of a wild standard uh, that you've heard in the past. And I'll use that as my example. I don't want to. Uh, well, let's say that uh, women should never wear makeup. I've, I know people who've believed that. Sure. Me too. That's an extreme stand. That's an extreme position to impose on somebody else. hundred percent. So what happens when you have a person in leadership, say the pastor that has this feeling that makeup is uh, wrong. And so he gets up in a church setting in front of a congregation and then starts to preach that God has told him that makeup is wrong. And he has a conviction about this. And he doesn't understand how anybody else that has the Holy Spirit would land on a different conclusion than him. That immediately puts pressure on the congregation to make a decision. Do I want to be right with my pastor and the Holy Spirit? So they adopt uh, this um, standard that that this guy has come up with as a right or wrong issue because the pastor has made it that even if he uh, tries not to, just the fact that you're standing in a pulpit saying that the Holy Spirit has led you this way is placing that on the people to make a decision. Yeah, and and even if you're not overtly saying you're in sin if you don't agree with me, you can still create a pressure that everybody needs to do it the way you're doing it or they're not doing it right. That's right. You can... And what I've since learned is when you have an environment where that is the way that things are being dealt with from the pulpit, 
then what happens is the people feel a pressure to respond to that. And, and uh, the pastor doesn't realize it, but he's actually stolen the voice of the Holy Spirit yep. from the individual because the Holy Spirit may have not said that. Uh, may have not placed that conviction on this individual, but now they feel this need to conform because you've said it. Yeah. And now your voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And and maybe that is something the Holy Spirit told you. Right. Maybe it is, but maybe that's a burden that you bear because of something you deal with. But now you're placing that burden on, you're giving other people burdens that God hasn't given them to bear. And if I could add to this, it may not necessarily be a pastor, but it's probably somebody of influence in the church. Yes. And to your point, it actually robs them of of the growth that they should be experiencing in listening to the Holy Spirit. That's right. I don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. I'm just going to do what this person tells me. You're actually taking the Holy Spirit's place. It's like identity theft. Yeah. It's, it's, yes. And then how many people in that environment then uh, get frustrated with those things? And then they're mad at God as if God was putting all that on them because they right. really feel like this is how God wants me to act and I fail at it. And so I guess God's mad at me. You know, they're, right. They end up getting angry at God because somebody's stolen his identity. Mm-hmm. says, this is what God's saying. When he, when that's not absolutely clear from scripture, if if I could add one thing sure. in that kind of toxic environment, uh, you, one of the things you see, I think one of the other traits that's born from that trait mm-hmm. is the inability to question it. A hundred percent. Nobody's allowed to ask that the question, are we sure this is right? Is this obvious to everybody that this is true? And it's, that squashes the diversity. I, I think even when the, when that leader doesn't intend for it, any little diversity that crops up that congregation shoves it down. That's right. And crushes it because you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not what we do around here, you know. And and I don't think sometimes pastors realize that's the effect, but they create this sort of uh policing culture mm-hmm. in the church, that comparison culture and anybody who steps out of line, that culture comes down pretty swiftly on them when it happens. That's right. And another sign, another sign uh that I'll say is I would avoid any church where the pastor takes pulpit time to point to other brothers, sisters in Christ and and takes the time to point out how this church is so much better than these other churches because we don't have drums and they do. Uh, When you start taking pulpit time, which is supposed to be reserved for preaching Bible and use it in such a way to attack our brothers and sisters in Christ, it just is so far from me uh, to imagine doing that. I, I feel like some of these guys are going to be in for a rude awakening when they get to heaven. And Jesus says, hey, why were you beating up on my daughters and sons? Why were you beating up your siblings? Yeah, the bride of Christ, really, when you think about it. Like the bride of Christ, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're, you're attacking the church, something Jesus blood and died for, absolutely. No, there's a sense of superiority that can creep into a church. It's very toxic. Uh, this idea, oh, you can't go anywhere else and get what you get here. You can't. All the other churches in town, they wish they had it like we do. You know, right. they just don't know what they're missing. They don't have the full truth the way that we do or or nobody else in town's reaching people like we do or they're not they're not uh, doing X, Y or Z the way we are. We're, we're superior to them is the is the implication to that. Clay, you just hit another excellent uh, point or sign to know that you're in a toxic church. If you're a member of a church and another person or family leaves that church and they become the enemy. Oh, man. If you are instructed not to talk to members who leave, that's a bad sign. Yeah. You, if you leave, you're dead to us. That's right. Yeah. You're not, you're not a brother and sister in Christ who may go to a different church, but we're on the same team. That's no, right. no, no. We're not on the same team. Nope. You're not friends you with us You can't leave this church and be right with God. Yeah. And there's a lot of churches that have that and have that uh, hanging over their heads. And that is a definite unhealthy sign. If I could add one here, uh, I think a toxic church culture is a steep, we, we touched on it already, but I want to dig in a little bit more. It's a very uh, strict comparison culture. Uh, when a church's mission, because uh, the church's mission is to equip the people inside the four walls to reach the people outside the four walls. Correct. Would you agree with that? I would 100%. To go and make this, be a disciple yourself, go and make disciples. We come in here, we learn God's word, we're transformed by the truth. We, we worship, we transform by our worship to God. We exalt him in our hearts and lives. We um, we encourage one another and pray for one another. And then we go out and we find other people who need Jesus. 100%. We go and, fishing. Yeah. And if when, when, the, when, a, when a big part of the subject matter of the church or the focus of the church is us. Right. We're taking apart whose music we like better or who, who wins. 
when it comes to the to the worship wars, as they call them. Sure. Uh, we're focused on um, whose preferences are being, uh, who's in positions of power in the church. I, I mean, I've seen this happen where who's a deacon or a trustee or who's a who's a this or who's a that or or who's past which pastor. This pastor's wife has a lot of power, and when when so much of the church's emotional energy is caught up comparing yourself to one another in any of these spheres That's and you're the focus is not reaching somebody who needs jesus loving people who, who are far from god when you start when the, when the whole focus becomes inside the four walls and it's like hey if a visitor happens to show up they're going to wonder where in the world they stepped off That's into right. they're going to all they're going to do is walk into a place where they don't feel like anybody was ready for them to be there the, the whole focus of the building is us right we're just all focused on being, and we're going to nitpick each other to death, and we're going to be the special forces of God's army, and we're going to train like, you know, and we're going to have, we're going to be better than everybody. It's the, the whole focus is just us. Right. You know, and I, if I could use the, another Proverbs reference, it, there's, a, refer, there's a, a, a verse in Proverbs where it says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. I think a lot of churches get really caught into this trap of, I want, I'm just focused on cleaning the, the stall. Right. Like we're in our church and you know what? Our church is cleaner than everybody else's. And we're just going to clean this stall. We're going to keep cleaning this stall and no, nothing's getting done. We're not reaching anybody. Right. It's like, it's actually maybe a good sign when there's some messiness in your church. Absolutely. Because it means some ministry is happening. That's it means people are being reached. Right. So yeah. I think that's a toxic trait to get to. If you, if you, if you, if you, if you can sit at church and be like, I can't remember the last time a visitor came in here where they seemed like they felt welcome or, yeah, I can't, or came back a second time. Yeah. I can't remember the last time uh, somebody who'd never heard the gospel, heard the gospel, you know, uh, in our church. I don't really think that's happening. That could be a sign that you're, you're just self-focused. That's right. Not reaching others. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Signs of a toxic church. I think you hit the nail on that. You started to touch on it earlier. I, I think if you're in a church and there really is no checks and balances for the powers to be, if, if it if if all the decision making and all the finances and and all of the really important details are are uh, decided behind closed doors, and it really doesn't feel like anybody has any real say, that's a sign of yeah, a toxic. Maybe church. maybe you're afraid to ask. Sure, there's a culture where you can't you can't ask those questions. Sure. Well, that's, that's great stuff, Brian. What do you think about the second question? How do you decide? This is a tough question, by the way. It says, how do you decide whether to leave or to stay and work for change? Well, I, I guess all I can really do is speak to my experience. And for me, once I was placed in the position of pastor and I started preparing sermons for the church specifically because I was, you know, preaching in other venues, but not at the church. And it kind of changed the way I was, you know, I, if I'm being hundred percent, you know, transparent and honest, I could preach freely in other places, but I felt coming into our church, it really had to be on another level or, or to, you know, we were so spoiled with what we would refer to as excellent preaching that, it felt like instead of really coming in to feed some people, I was trying to impress them yeah. with the message, if that makes any sure. sense. So when it shifted from that to now it's it's my responsibility as the pastor to get into the Bible and feed the flock, I started reading and really delving into these passages by themselves. And I started having the change of mind on some of these issues. And, and it wasn't just that alone. It was your influence, as you know, as you were going through some changes and and and, and watching uh, your life. And, and so I felt a duty. I'm, I know this doesn't sound like I'm answering the question. No, I'm, I'm listening. You're good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I felt I, I almost felt the duty once I realized the culture was so bad. And the legalism was so extreme, I almost felt a sense of duty to try and correct it. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not always the best, you know, way for someone to go about it, but I had just been newly placed in the position and I felt that, hey, I love these people. I've went to church with, with every one of these families for 12 years plus or 12 years for some of them and mm -hmm. close to others and, and if I'm being you know honest not all of those families are still with us today and I still love those families and it was my hope and desire as I was realizing the mindset that I had was wrong and I was f making the best attempt to fix those 
mindsets, my desire was that they would also follow down uh, the same road that I was headed down. Uh, now, it became apparent that some of them were just unwilling, and that's where the fight came in. Uh, but many of the families were willing and ready. And because of that, I felt almost a sense of duty to to be a part of the change since I had such a hand in the negative side as well. And so for me, I really feel the Lord impressed upon me to take this position and and lead this group of believers into a healthier environment. And I sure hope we're we're doing that. I appreciate that uh, transparency. You were talking about uh, wanting to fix something because you felt like you had a hand in in perpetrating it or sure. causing it, or or at least at least passively contributing to it in, in a lot of well, ways. Well, I was going to touch on that passively contributing. Can we delve down that just a sure. little bit? Because I had a hard time uh, during the first year or so uh, of transitioning out of the legalistic mindset uh, with my own perception of what had taken place. I felt like I could step back and say, well, I wasn't part of the problem. I was just a congregant. I never had power. I never preached the the most damaging of things that were preached to us. Those things didn't come across. So I, I actually felt like, no, I'm not a part of the problem. I was just there. But then I've come to realize that there's no power without there being people that are just there. The power, the excommunicating power from cutting someone off who doesn't do things just like you only has power when you have a congregation of people that sit there and say nothing. Because that generates the overall feeling to the individual who's left that they're all against me. And what I've come to realize is looking back over some of the departures of people that have left out of the unhealthy environment hurt. Uh, Still to this day, I talk to some and they'll express the pain that they still feel from hurts that they experienced. And I realized I contributed to that hurt by sitting there and saying nothing because they saw me as part of the group that cut them off. Hmm. So I can't sit by and say that I didn't contribute. I absolutely contributed by by my presence, yeah. by not speaking up in times when uh, I knew things uh, should have been said. I think anybody who's spent any significant time, because I can say that of myself too, when you've spent a significant time in it, you have to own the parts if if you were willing to affirm the positives and you were unwilling to reprove the sin, you contributed to it. That's right. By continuing to say amen when you where where you could, by contributing to give, by you were contributing to it. And I I know that I've had those moments too. If I can, you know, just when I've talked to people who were there when I was there and who left hurt, I have to even if I don't know that if I directly affected them, I some I feel that impulse to say to some of those people. Hey, if I ever hurt you, if I ever, and I'm sorry that I didn't advocate for, you know, I'm sorry that I was in that moment, I didn't say the truth. That's right. Um, yeah, that's powerful. And I, I think you would agree with this. It's not obvious in each and every situation what you need to do. That's right. This, it's not. I think this question we're asking is kind of an unanswerable question. Yeah. Because for me, we, we, we were in the same church. Yeah. I left, you stayed. That's right. And, and when and when you left, and I and by I the was way, hurt by your departure. <laughs> I was I was I I just knew that this was the end of your spirituality. Mm-hmm. That it was just going to be a, a few short months, a couple of years at most. You wouldn't even be in church. You would be going to heavy metal rock concerts, headbanging. <laughs> I believe that you would, you know, I didn't, you know, believe you would ever ruin your life on drugs or anything of that matter. But I did believe that you were taking the first few steps in leaving God. And I, if I'm being honest, it was watching you go through your departure and go through your transition. And I know you give me a lot of credit for being your friend uh, during those times, but I didn't feel that way at the time. I really felt like, I mean, first of all, well, you felt like I was actually beginning to leave our friendship. You felt like that was part part and parcel. We wouldn't stay friends because I was going to continue it down a path that that was unspiritual. I wasn't going to stay in. I certainly with God. felt that way. I don't know that I registered in my mind that maybe that we wouldn't be friends anymore. But I did. I did. Uh, I did. In some ways, I felt 
a bet- betrayed that you had turned your back on that church. Yeah, that's how it felt. Yeah. And and so I was never going to not be your friend because I'll just be honest, you know, I'm not going to let anybody tell me <laughs> who I can be friends with. Right. And just the first moment someone says, you can't talk to that person, that's going to be the first person I'm going to call. That's just how I am. And so if anything, I drew closer to you, said, you're not going to tell me who I can be friends with. And, right. And I'm not talking about church leadership, but there was a lot of pressure from, from others. The, yeah, yeah. 100%. They, you know, a lot of negative remarks. And and so while I was uh, watching all of this transpire, I saw almost um, a closer walk with the Lord in your life. I saw things happening and I saw that you were having epiphanies that were drawing you in closer. And, and everything that I was told and came to believe would happen in your life as a result of giving up these standards, none of them happened. And so that's the first time there was a chink in the armor of legalism for me. That's the first time I questioned everything. And and it still took years for me to take a departure. Yeah. But that was the beginning for me. Yeah, I can speak to those being some of the it was some of the loneliest times I've ever had in my life, and yet some of the some of the most spiritually powerful moments in my life. God was doing what crazy things in my heart and life during that time. And what's wild about this particular scenario is because here we're talking about whether or not somebody should leave or stay. I left and you stayed, and yet I believe God's hand was in both of those I things. I believe that too. And it doesn't make everything I did right or everything you did right, and through through all of it, but it but it. God is um, God is working in broken places. That's right, and that's the beauty. And and uh, and he and he's and he's used us in so different ways. We're here right here in the same city. That's right. We're best of friends, and we don't go to the same church, that's and right. we serve God and love one another, and we you know your family means. Well, I mean, I do tear your church down every Sunday morning. <laughs> I see. I know every that's time not I true. get an opportunity. <laughs> not your church, but you. I'm sorry, uh, your church is listening. <laughs> No, I'm just playing. I love you, church. I love your pastor. And and I've come to know, I've known many of yeah. the families that attend your church for many, many years. They're some of the most sincere Christians I've ever met, if I'm being honest. And it's it's a blessing to me to watch uh, to watch your church go through the things that it's gone through and to grow through the things that it's grown through. And the, those growing pains, to see them do that together is powerful. And it it's is. it's a blessing to watch. But I almost know that maybe if I hadn't left, I, I don't I don't think it could have happened with me there. I think I needed to be gone. I think that was, look back, I believe that was part of the equation of what God was doing in that time. And I believe God was working in both of our, our lives in different ways. So I, I'm saying all that to to say to the listener, should you stay or should you go? Isn't that a song? Should I stay or should I go? I do think. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to try to sing it for no, anybody. No, me neither. <laughs> if, should you stay or should you go? <laughs> Uh, the really the real answer to that question is you have to do whatever you do prayerfully. You have to try to follow God on it. You know you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. But I'll tell you this: don't feel guilty or shameful. Do what you believe God wants you to do. Do what you're conv- what you feel conviction to do, and don't worry about it after that. You, either way is going to be hard. This is the this is the sad truth: is that if you stay, there's a hard to that, and if you leave, there's a hard to that. So do what you do with conviction that what you're doing is what God has called you to do. For sure. So, For sure. And, and I would have a hard time believing that a Christian uh, in a situation like this it would be better off staying in an un- unhealthy church if they're not in some sort of position to at least affect progress towards health. Sure. In some way, if, if you have no say whatsoever, I would, I would encourage you to leave and get out of the unhealthy, toxic environment. Uh, but if you're in a position to contribute... And you kind of have to make that call. Yeah, absolutely. What would you, you spoke earlier about um, when you, when you became pastor, uh, focusing not on performing so much, not on delivering this life-changing sermon every Sunday, just digging into the word and feeding the flock. For sure. I, 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 you, you started to answer this next question for us, which was how do you address toxicity? Okay, so you're wanting to affect that change. Maybe you have a position of some influence or leadership in the church and you want to start influencing that positive change. What would you say is important to note? What are, what are some, maybe some steps or maybe some, just some key principles that you'd say are absolutely crucial when you're trying to affect that change? 
Well, the first thing I did was I made a good hard switch to expository preaching, mm -hmm. uh, really getting into, uh, you know, a lot of bad preaching comes from pick a verse and rant for an hour. You right. Know? And, and, and it's so easy to take verses out of context. I've done it. Um, I've since uh, through study realized how many verses were taught to me out of context. And if that's the way you're approaching your message, it's easy to get uh, a, a toxic message across. But when you're expository preaching properly, it's a whole lot harder to twist scripture into something it doesn't say. So one of the well, to answer the question in short, the only real way to address it is with the Bible. There's no amount of arguing you're going to be able to. I, I've realized that it doesn't matter if you have five solid rational points that poke holes in their position. They're so emotionally invested in these positions, you're not going to argue them out of it. The only change that I've seen take place is through preaching God's word for what it says, showing them the truth of the context of the passage. And even then, it's a slow process to change the way uh, uh, some people think or some people approach topics in scripture. I'm thinking of one one topic right off the bat is the issue of dress uh, and specifically whether a man or woman should ever show skin below their knee. And that was a hot topic in our circle for a long time. And, and I can remember uh, hearing passages taught on incorrectly to prove that it was sin to show your shins. Yep. And so, yeah, they, they were approaching the Bible with an agenda. And it was clear once you actually studied those passages that it didn't say what they were trying to twist it to same. say. It exactly. wasn't about the it, that wasn't even the topic. I'll give you a great example just for the sake of illustration for the uh, audience. Um, I've heard preaching that when Jesus showed up in Revelation in a white robe uh, down to the floor, that that means we ought to wear clothing down to the floor because that's what Christ was wearing in his uh, appearance. Well, how come we only took one third of that equation? How come we don't preach that men should wear robes or that all we should wear is white? How come it's just to the floor? And it's become clear to me that that passage is not discussing dress standards whatsoever. And so it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Exactly. Yeah. So to try to use that passage of scripture to uh, as a basis for your dress standards, you're already taking the passage out of context. So teaching scripture in its proper context, avoiding your own agendas is the only real way to attack it. And even then, from my experience, it doesn't always work. Yeah, I'm glad you you said that really well. The Because the, I know you started doing book studies when you took over as pastor. That's right. And you went through the book of Galatians as an example. And what, a, a, and what a perfect book. If, you, if, if, the, if the background is legalism, the medicine is Galatians. I mean, that's just the truth. That's I mean, right. you could always read the life of Jesus going through uh, his interactions with the Pharisees. But Paul is directly confronting a, an attitude of the Judaizers attitude in Galatians. And, and you did a verse by verse study. And the, the one thing that I have learned a lot about in scripture, as you just mentioned, is how many passages I understood all wrong. And once I studied it for myself in context, verse by verse, going through the book, I mean, I, I, my pastor on Sunday preached a message is a little off topic, but on the church's responsibility to the elder. Mm. And the elder for the listener is the pastor. It's the it's the bishop, pastor, elder. It's the all same overseer, shepherd. You know, those are all used for pastor in, in scripture. And he preached out of 1 Timothy 5. And his points were, you're, you're, I'm, I'm just going to, I may mess these up. But general, it was, it was uh, respect and obey, compensate them, uh, pray for them, rebuke them. Um, I'm trying to remember a few more. He, he had five or six points. And it was right there at 1 Timothy 5. Oh, protect them. And like verse, verses 19 and 20 says not to receive accusations against them, but before two or three witnesses, he says that's how you protect them. You protect them by not letting gossip fester, mm. but you rebuke them by allowing accusations when there's witnesses. Sure. So that if there is sin, you can rebuke them before the church properly. And, uh, and he presented such a balanced approach to saying, hey, that's not being a witch hunt on your pastor. Of course, he's a sinner. You're not nitpicking his sin. You're looking for that lifestyle of sin that betrays 
the gospel he's trying to proclaim. And if you find it, you have to address it publicly before the church. That's right. And call for repentance. And and he preached that whole passage. I've never heard that passage preached like that. Mm. I've ne- I'd never heard it preached like that. I've known that that's what it teaches. But you know how many times I've heard that passage nitpicked for a specific line? Right. I mean, I heard the the phrase "them that sin rebuke before all" that's applied right. to people applied the to all. That's yeah, right. Applied to the congregants, <laughs> right. but never the pastor. The leadership. No. But it's actually referring to church leaders. That's, it's actually saying that church leaders have a higher bar of transparency because you wouldn't it help the church if we would quit covering up the sins of the leadership and expose it for what it is when it does happen, the church would maintain dignity. Yeah. And it, and it sets such a, it gives the leader, if he's, if it's not a disqualifying sin, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a harmful thing that's developing in his life. It actually gives him a chance to model repentance for the church. That's right. And uh, man, what a, what a wild thing that would be if you had that, that kind of relationship in a church. For sure. You know, you mentioned we went through the book of Galatians and we took our time through it, you know, mm-hmm. coming from our background. And 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 I'll tell you, the one the one Wednesday night when we got to Galatians five, I went into the church and I knew that just from the foundation that the first four chapters had laid and exposing it for what it was really saying, I knew I was headed for a controversial service. So I walked into the church. And I said, okay, church, tonight, I'm not going to comment at all. We're just going to read the chapter. And brother, when I was reading the chapter. Galatians 5, right? Galatians 5. People were getting upset at me just reading scripture. Because for the first time, some of their children were hearing it in context. Yeah, it, was not, it wasn't uh, parceled out and nitpicked. It was. That's right. Yeah. And just the reading of scripture was enough to cause controversy in that service. But I'll tell you another thing we did, uh, and and you were uh, key in that when me and you discussed the Baptist distinctives, it really caused me to study them out deeply. And then we went over those distinctives in our church. And when we got to the Baptist distinctive of individual soul liberty, (laughs) I literally lost families over that study. Wow. Because I stood in the church and taught that we have uh, individual soul liberty, that we have the liberty to pursue the Lord as individuals. I don't need you to tell me. Yeah, we don't believe in coercion. We don't believe in in control and manipulation. We we believe in persuasion. That's right. And it was teaching that we can, that us born again Christians, us uh, saved folk, uh, the Lord is... Jesus Christ is the Lord of our conscience, and we can trust that. We can learn to lean on the Holy Spirit's leading, and when you do, you can follow him as an individual and trust him. Mm. And I think so many congregations have had that trust taken from them because they have passages taught out of uh, context, like uh, having your conscience seared with a hot iron. Once you study that passage out, you find out that it's extra biblical rules that are searing the conscience. I've always been taught that when I go out and I watch something on TV that I shouldn't watch and it doesn't bother me. That's the seared conscience. That's the seared conscience. And that's why I have to listen to what the pastor teaches because I can't trust my own conscience. And that's another layer of stripping people. Yeah, that's manipulation. It is. And I love that you've made the focus of this question, teaching in context God's word. Man, God's the, the truth of God's word. You'll see, I believe, and I, I saw it in my own life, when I started hearing really good teaching. You know, people, I think maybe some people thought that when I, when I, God started changing the way I thought about some of these things, that I was like on the internet uh, Googling like anti-legalist sermons. Sure. That's not what did it. I couldn't find, I actually couldn't find those things. Right. I'm sure they're out there. I've found them since then, but they weren't, I couldn't find them. I didn't actually know it was legalism I was dealing with. So I didn't know what to call it. Right. Um, What I started listening to though was expositors of the Bible. Mm. I was listening to guys like David Platt and Tim Keller and they weren't teaching on legalism. They were just teaching God's word in context. Right. And that balance, the Holy Spirit that lives in a Christian will just, it'll flourish. That's right when God's word is being taught and its truth is being taught in context. So I love that. We're going to skip one of these questions, but this has been awesome, man. I'm having a good time. Let's go to this last question. Advice for those in the middle of change. Uh, they're, they're seeing good things, Brian. They're, they're working towards um, positive things in their church. They're seeing signs of health even. 
You know, they're they're working toward it, but they're getting a lot of pushback. I know you've dealt with that. You talked about uh, folks that, as the change was occurring, they weren't they weren't liking a lot of it, or they weren't they, they didn't appreciate it. They were so emotionally invested in in what was. Sure. Um, what advice do you have, or maybe some encouragement you have for those who are feeling feeling that pain? Oh, okay. Um, I would say grace is a key. Uh, for me, uh, when I started to go down this road of, of shedding legalism and, and getting a legalistic mindset uh, into a healthier spot, I was just a couple of steps ahead of my wife and uh, other other people in the church because I, as I would learn these positions and, and my eyes would open, I would then turn and say, hey, well, what about this? And, and start giving them some of the same questions to think about. And even the families that have successfully uh, wanted to contribute to a healthier environment have had trouble at some steps along the way. And so I've really had to just realize that I'm having these epiphanies too, and I'm not right about everything. And as I'm questioning a lot of these positions and, and people around me aren't feeling the exact same way, I need to give them space. I need to give them grace. And one of the biggest things uh, I've learned is to give them time. Mm. Because it took me time. Yeah, that's great. And another thing that's helped me, and I know this is hard, but this would help in a lot of areas of life. I've tried real hard to remove my feelings out of the equation. I know that going through this process, there's people that have marked me their enemy and they say bad things and, you know, how we're liberals and we're grace gluttons and and all the things that get said about us. And, and in reality, my day-to-day life uh, has has changed in just a very few key areas. Uh, and, and when all this is happening, uh, I've really tried hard to n- n- not be concerned with being offended. Mm. If I get offended, I try to let it go. I try not to think uh, I'm not so important. I'm not so special that I can't carry some offense. Um, and so even going through some of these changes and, and being dis, disparagingly remarked about, uh, it doesn't bother me. I just, I've really tried to compartmentalize and, and remove it from the equation. And that would help a lot as you're watching an environment slowly change because it's going to be tough and there's going to be some fights. Uh, there's going to be some arguments and there's going to be some hurt feelings and uh, some friendships are more than likely going to end over some of these things. And uh, you just really have to not take it personal. And for me, I feel the the calling of of God to be, you know, a part of this change. And so I realize that there's going to come some kickback from it. And I just don't take it personal. That's the brother. There was a lot of great, uh, there was a lot of great advice in what you just said. Um, great. That was, so, that was awesome. You talked about grace, man. Um, and you talked about giving people time. That's so huge. You know, I, I think, I think to how long it took me, you know, just because I left that church, I, I mentioned that I left and you stayed just because I left it and mean, you know, everything changed overnight for sure. You know, and I struggled when I went to the next church to find a place to fit in at first. I went to, you know, I I was kind of, I felt like a square peg in a round hole. I was like, I don't know how to fit in because I still was pretty shaped by that culture. And sure. And it didn't change overnight for me. And you're right. You give people the truth of God's word and you've got to give the Holy Spirit time to work in them. And maybe they resist it and maybe they even leave, Mm -hmm. but God's not done with them either. And you have to trust that if even if they rebel against that for years, that's between them and God. That's right. And like you just said, it's not really about you. That's right. God's doing something here. And because you're willing to be used of God in this way, it means you're going to take some of the flack that goes with that. But it's not about you. That's right. You know, it's not really. And they might try to make it about you. Right. Because that's going to, I mean, one of the first things that people do that don't have arguments is they get personal. That's right. They get personal as fast as possible if they don't have arguments. Mm -hmm. But you're going to present those questions to them. And then when they don't have good answers, you're going to give them God's word. That's right. As the answer. And you got to trust that enough people, as you push, as you strive for this positive biblical change, you have to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to take God's word and work it in. And over time, God's going to break up that ground uh, with enough of those people. And you're going to have the people. Hey, this is one thing I've we've had to learn at, at Fellowship where I'm at, too, is you're going to have people God wants you to have. 
That's and right. there's going to be people that you lose and you're going to, and you're going to, it's going to break your heart. Even if they were big troublemakers, it's going to break your heart that they had, to, that they felt they had to leave. And then God's going to bring other people in That's right. who are glad to be a part of what God's doing in your church. And those, you just have to trust that God's going to give you who you need to have in your church. And he's not done with those other people either. We're not, not the, I'm not the only cog in God's wheel. <laughs> you know, God, he's so much bigger and his plan is so much greater. And I can say, you know what? I'm not going to hold animosity toward them. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to wish the best for them. Um, Amen. But I I'm personally not- feel that there's nothing wrong with an individual trying to find a group of believers that they identify with, that they have similarities with. If you want to be a cowboy and wear cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and a big cowboy <laughs> buckle, and you want to go to a church where everyone else is wearing cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and cowboy buckle, that's great. I have no problem with you finding that and serving the Lord in that environment. The problem then comes is when you point at other churches and say, you're wrong for not doing it the way we're doing it. We're all different now. Yeah, or looking down on somebody in your congregation because they won't do it. Because they won't wear the cowboy gear. <laughs> it's it's I'm, I, go find a group of uh believers that you can joyfully worship the lord in and get involved and mm-hmm. and leave other people alone if it's not clearly against god's word if you don't have clear scripture i'm not talking listen um isn't it in 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 first peter where we're told to receive the weaker brother, but not to doubtful disputations. It's Romans 14. Oh, Romans 14. I'm so sorry. You're 100% correct. Yep. Uh, Romans 14, we're supposed to receive them, but not so we can sit around and argue over the things that are doubtful. And they're doubtful if you don't have clear scripture on it. If you're using obscure passages to prove your point, that is the definition of doubtful. Yes. Yeah. I was just talking to Lydia about this today. You know, as I've gotten older, I just don't, you know, that kind of, that kind of, environment you just get to a place where you're like you know people are out there living and dying without jesus i don't have time for this that's right you know what i mean i don't want to spend my life arguing over these things Mm -hmm. and and if you if that's something you see in your church and that's something you're working to change um you're gonna have some rough moments every day is not going to be a good day you're going to come home from a church service on a sunday (laughs) and be like what happened today that's right you know you're gonna feel that way and uh, just know that you're, uh, if you're, if you're living in your conviction that you're doing what God's leading you to do, uh, just be encouraged that God's working through you in other people's life, and that 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 sometimes God has to, He's making diamonds out of us, right? That's right. And uh, you know what causes diamonds? Pressure, Pressure. and uh, and pain, and uh, and in the end, cutting, mm. and. Uh, you know, uh, God's doing great things and he's going to do great things for you if you're working to serve him and follow him. And uh, I, I thought I thought your advice on that was great, man. How to I, just, just a real encouragement to those who have fought that battle or are going to or or maybe you're, they're in the middle of it. For sure. And, and I'd like to to add just one thing. It, it, you know, when I look back over my journey, I wouldn't change it. And I know I'm different than even a lot of people I've talked to that have come out of a toxic culture. Now, listen, I would never encourage someone to go sign up for a toxic culture, but I've been a part of one and I've came out of it. Uh, and, and there's some valuable lessons I've learned um, and, and it's added to my Christianity uh, in, in a tremendous way. Now, I'd like to say this. Once I left the legalistic mindset and I started really dropping uh, a rules focused Christianity and, and, and adopting a relationship focused Christianity, Man, these last three years have been phenomenal in my personal growth and my walk with the Lord. I'm, I'm, uh, if no one else in my church is getting help from my time as pastor, I'm benefiting greatly. <laughs> and, and I'm having a blast. I appreciate you uh, opening up your show and having me on in, in place of Josh. And I did miss his presence. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's been a great time having you. And uh, I know Josh enjoyed the, uh, he had a vacation week, so I know he enjoyed the time off, but uh, we'll welcome Josh back happily next episode. Uh, but thank you for coming on. And I, I, I'll i just tell you, I'm encouraged. I'm blessed because I talk to you regularly and I'm blessed to see what God's doing in your church. I'm blessed to see how God's using you. Um, it encourages me when I see that there's new people 
you know, over at your church Amen. and that uh, none of us are going to in danger of any being mega pastors anytime That's soon. Right. But God has given us places to serve and work for him. And until he comes, we can be faithful and people are going to get help. Uh, and God's word is going to make the difference. Amen. And uh, I'm just grateful for it. Amen. Me too, brother. Man, could you pray as uh, just and, and pray for uh, those who are listening who may have uh, may have experienced this or going through it, and uh, we'll close in a word of prayer. For sure, let's pray. Father, we we come to you this evening, Lord, and uh, well, first of all, we thank you for uh, always working on us, Lord, and 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 leading us to truth, Lord. And I thank you for that, and thank you for the work you've done in Clay's life and the way you're using him today, Lord, and the work you've done in my life. And Lord, for the listeners that are uh, tuning in. Lord, if they find themselves in a position where they're struggling to make decisions as to how to move forward out of their toxic environment, Lord, I pray that you would give them peace. Lord, I pray that you would make your will clear to them. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, give them a, a path to a healthier environment. Lord, the danger is so many people leave toxic Christian environments never to return. Mm -hmm. And Lord, I just pray that you would help that uh, uh, help us in any way we can to contribute to uh, avoiding that issue in people's lives. Lord, I would encourage everyone to, if you find yourself in a toxic situation, get in a healthier one. Lord, I pray that you would do just that. Help all those that are listening and struggling, Lord, and help us. We sure do love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Young Baptist pod. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review wherever you consume the content. Be sure to check out our website, theyoungbaptistpodcast.com for more resource recommendations and to join our YBP community.